This is the Cato Daily Podcast for Friday, April 27, 2018. I'm Caleb Brown. As other countries have risen in wealth, productivity, and prominence over the last several decades, American leadership around the globe is being challenged. So what does American decline actually mean? And how should the United States change the way it engages with the world in light of the shifting geopolitical landscape? Chris Preble, Vice President for Defense and Foreign Policy Studies at the Cato Institute, explains. Your piece in the New York Times is headlined, Adapting to American Decline. And of course, nobody wants to think about, nobody in America wants to think about America being in decline. Uh, What do people mean by that? And um, what did you mean to say in the piece? Sure. Um, Well, it's right that I didn't, I didn't choose that headline. And I think it- They never do. They never do. And I, and I think um, (laughs) it definitely sort of- can get the conversation off on the right track, although I have to say from the response that, uh, that I received, most people didn't get too hung up on it. The, the, the point is simply this. Um, the fact that America's relative power, that is relative to other countries in the world, has declined since at least since the end of, of World War II, frankly, or, or since the end of the Cold War, is undisputed, that no one can question. And, but of course, we're starting from an artificial or, or uh, state of affairs. At the end of World War II, most of the rest of the world was completely destroyed by war. The United States was relatively unscathed, especially though, you know, aside from the uh, Americans who served in the, in the conflicts in, in, in Asia and Europe. Um, but when we embarked on the project of helping um, mostly European countries and a few Asian countries uh, rebuild not merely their economies, which we helped them with, but also rebuild their politics, um, we had such an enormous uh, amount of power, military power and economic power, that frankly, we could have, as the old saying goes, guns and butter. Uh, It was possible, in fact, for Uncle Sam to seem to be underwriting the security of most of the rest of the planet and allowing Americans to enjoy uh, greater uh, greater living standards here in the United States. Um, So, the fact that the rest of the world has, in fact, become uh, secure and prosperous and growing is a testament to the international order that America helped build. So the way to reframe this, Mark Thompson, who used to write for Time Magazine, uh, suggested the title should have been Adapting to the World Order that the United States helped create, the peaceful, stable world order that the United States helped create. And I think that's much more accurate. It sort of conveys correctly that the United States uh, did perform an important service, self-interested to be sure, but an important service that does pay dividends, uh, uh, you know, well beyond just and not not merely for others, but also for ourselves. But there's a huge uh, chunk of not just the American public, but the uh, sort of foreign policy establishment in Washington, D.C. that rejects that notion out of hand. Correct. So it really hinges on the on whether or not you believe that that order is durable going forward or in the future without as much U.S. power behind it. Um, and what I stressed in the article and what we've stressed here, else, uh, other Cato scholars have stressed, is that a lot of the reasons why countries have chosen not to go to war go well beyond uh, their confidence that the United States uh, will be there to punish bad guys or help them out if they get in trouble, help, help out the good guys if they get out get in trouble. Um, 
And and what this hinges on is do we believe that other countries in the world who generally share our values with respect to uh, openness and uh, tolerance uh, and uh, um, sort of economic and sort of transparency and those sorts of classical liberal issues, whether or not they are sufficiently committed to those uh, values that they will actually be willing to to put some skin in the game to defend them. I believe that they will be. Many others, uh, including here in Washington, believe that they won't be. Um, and I know it's provocative and, and I sort of deliberately, I really do, and the, I think the phrase that I use in the, in the article is, uh, do we treat other countries around the world, effectively all other countries in the, around the world, as adolescents or as adults? Are they actually grownups or can they be made to, uh, to be uh, independent and self-sufficient? Um, and again, there are many people who doubt that. And in fact, the, the way that the other side likes to cast this is that, yes, there are a few adults in the room and they're all bad guys. They're all people who want something very, very different from what Americans want, whereas all of the good guys are uh, reckless children or sort of helpless weaklings. Uh, and I don't think that's true. And I certainly don't think that we should want it to be true. I guess that's the even more important point is that we should want an international order that is durable enough that it can uh, exist without the amount of uh, U.S. power behind it uh, because U.S. power is declining and especially our military power, which is a function of our, of our economic power as a share of the, the total global output. Within uh, the Trump administration, there seems to be uh, a pitched battle uh, internally about what portions of what you just described they're willing to subscribe to. They would never uh, <laughs> adopt, you know, America declining as a slogan, sure, surely, but in terms of adapting to a changing world uh, that is maybe reducing our security guarantees to uh, many countries around the world, taking our uh, troops out of various parts of the world. And yet on the other side, you see a willingness to uh, drop bombs in Syria, to continue to be directly in the middle of uh, negotiations with uh, North Korea over their role in the world. Uh, which side is winning? I think that if you if you observe the Trump administration's actions as opposed to President Trump's rhetoric, uh, the the status quo is winning. That is, the president campaigned in, about removing U.S. forces from Afghanistan. The Trump administration has not merely increased the number of troops in Afghanistan, but essentially said that they will stay there until conditions improve, which may be never. Uh, the President Trump questioned uh, the wisdom of the Iraq War and also other wars in the Middle East that seemed uh, aimed at regime change or at, at least at undermining existing regimes. Uh, the Trump administration, with President Trump in the lead, has carried out attacks against uh, the Assad government in Syria that uh, certainly could have the effect of destabilizing that government or at least weakening it against its, uh, its opponents um, and has continued to wage war, as you say, uh, you know, via the small footprint or, or drones or airstrikes uh, in a number of other places in the Middle East. Uh, the United States is continuing to support the Saudi war in Yemen, which I referred to in the piece. So I think that 
on the one hand, the president, very, uh, very uh, Donald Trump, his candidate, skillfully capitalized on the sense of many Americans that we were declining, but he used that as a to say that we were declining because other countries were ripping us off. They were ripping us off in trade. They were they were taking advantage of our security guarantees, and they were they were, you know. So I think he did speak of decline, but taught and talked about reversing it. And then in terms of the actual conduct of U.S. foreign policy, to be very honest, I see very few uh, decisions that President Trump has taken uh, that depart significantly from uh, the consensus view uh, in terms of U.S. Uh, security guarantees and continuing to treat other countries around the world uh, as, they, as though they, they can't possibly be trusted uh, to defend themselves. Chris Preble is Vice President for Defense and Foreign Policy Studies at the Cato Institute. Subscribe to and rate the Cato Daily Podcast at iTunes and Google Play, and follow us on Twitter at Cato Podcast.